Welcome to the Testimony Service Podcast, the podcast that will encourage you, increase your faith, and draw you closer to God. I'm your host, Martina. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So in an effort to help our listeners' faith increase, each episode will begin with the scripture. Today's scripture comes from Psalm 145, verses 18 and 19. The Lord is ready to help all those who call out to Him. He helps those who really mean it when they call out to Him. He satisfies the needs of those who have respect for Him. He hears their cry and saves them. And now for episode 32, Conversion Therapy of Jesus Christ. Hey, how's it going? My name is Michael Martinez. I am 39 years old from the city of Ontario, California. My mom was a strong, devout Christian. She still is to this day. Um, However, my dad was not a Christian. A very strong family, both sides of my family were, but I just knew that my mom's side of the family were the ones that had that found Christian faith. So my mom would diligently take me and my sister, who's four years younger, to church with me growing up. I felt like I had a good relationship with Jesus Christ growing up as a young kid. I definitely felt his love. I loved going to church. I loved Jesus with all my heart. I remember growing up and I was never really your typical dad's boy. You know, I wasn't into the sports. I wasn't overly masculine. Because of dysfunctions in the family, my dad was an alcoholic. And as I got older, I was able to recognize that he was a drug user. He had an addiction with methamphetamine. As I got older, I kind of learned about that and discovered that. So I remember starting from a young age and just seeing troubles in the household that my mom would go through with my dad. We would turn to comfort. So when dad would take off for the weekend and dad wouldn't come home, we would go get our favorite meals from different places and really watched after my mom turning to food from for comfort at a very young age. And I felt like that started my path of searching out things addiction wise to kind of fulfill the voids and the emptiness and the hurts in my life. So I remember my dad was your typical Hispanic macho type of family man or manly man, you know, he was very adamant that he was not for any kind of homosexual behavior. So I remember discovering from a young age, shame, learning how to hide things and not wanting things to be discovered. Dysfunction in the household also included pornography. I remember hearing arguments of my mom finding stuff and finding videos and magazines. I also remember cousins on my dad's side being really into pornography. And I remember watching it. And I would remember watching these videos and relating it to the hurt that it would cause my mom. I always had my mom on a pedestal. So whatever hurt her, hurt me. What that ended up doing to me was my cousins would be enjoying the videos. And since I didn't, I realized that the devil from that age started planting the seed in my head. You don't like watching women in these videos. You don't like looking at the women in these videos, getting this stuff done to them. So you must be gay. All the males, all your cousins, they have no problem watching this stuff and it bothers you. So you're gay, you're different. Um, As I got a little bit older, 10, 11 years old, I remember having that same sex attraction. And I remember having a family member that was a couple years older than me. They were maybe 12, 13, 14. When I would be around them or be at their house, them initiating sexual activity. And at the time, I thought I liked it and I wanted, I invited it after a period of time and I enjoyed and I thought that's something that I wanted. Looking back now, though, I realized that the mind difference of someone who's nine or 10 years old is much more different than someone who's hitting puberty and then they're 12, 13, 14 years of age. So 
me looking back at the situation, the family member was quote unquote heterosexual, uh, had a lot of girls that were interested in him. And it almost made me feel special and validated in myself. Like this is our little secret. You know, I was always rejected. I remember growing up younger and having crushes on girls and having these idealistic expectations of what you're supposed to do when you like a girl or what you're supposed to be attracted to. And I try to go and approach girls and get them gifts, but I was always rejected, you know, as a young age. And I took that very personal, not realizing that I was at too much of a young age to even be thinking about being in a relationship or some of the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing with girls at the time. So this family member really made me feel special, you know, made me feel like, hey, this is someone giving me love. There must be something about me. And that kind of just cultured more of that same-sex attraction. I remember still going to church at this time, and my inner spirit started conflicting with my sexuality. And I started getting just really confused about things. So freshman year of high school, I started getting involved with a music culture down here known as the rave scene, which is a lot of underground music, underground parties. When I was introduced to that environment, just finding so many people that were curious and exploring their sexuality, it made it really easy just for me to start exploring my own sexuality on my own. And I remember in my freshman year coming out to one of my cousins, I called her over. And at that point, it was just eating me too much inside. I knew that I had an attraction to men. You know, she accepted me and she gave me that support that I needed at the time. and made it really easier for me to come out to people in my high school going into my sophomore year. A few cousins knew, a few aunts knew, but the majority, my mom's family, I never told them. Growing up, they had the idea or the assumption that I was gay. And it's something that I didn't want to validate for them. A part of me did not want to give them the satisfaction of hearing the words come from my mouth. So I wouldn't come out to my mom's family or to my mom till much later on in life or my dad. But I had enough people in my network. During those years, I was experimenting a lot with the drugs that were really popular at that time with the rave culture. So acid, mushrooms, LSD, K, special K, ketamine a whole bunch of hallucinogenic drugs. And I remember exploring those drugs into my senior year in high school to where the mental trips and the trips that I would be on off the drugs got really spiritual on me. So I would be at a rave and I'd be wearing my rainbow bracelet that says, I love boys. And I would have these trips that I was in hell and that I was stuck in hell or that God was coming back, that the rapture was happening. And I started having so many hardcore spiritual trips that I decided to stop using the drugs altogether. It was just too much for me. And uh, looking back, I realized even then that God had his hand on me, even in that darkness. I felt like those trips, not that God gave me the trips, but that he had that happen for me to stop because I had other friends and family members that used the same drugs and they're not the same today. Mentally, they're off. After 18, graduating high school, my best friend at the time who I would go out raving with, we had stopped doing those drugs, but one of her coworkers introduced us to crystal meth and we started snorting the drug at first and they would give us a rush and my addictive personality latched right onto that. So when we were introduced to the form of smoking it, it went all out addiction from my senior year in high school. So about 1998, 1999, well into 2005, I was about 24 years old. During those four or five years, I was just hardcore addicted to meth. My sexual appetite for men manifested and I found myself in a whole bunch of sexually unhealthy situations. I would visit and frequent bookstores and truck stops and hook up with anonymous men through emails. And I remember just being so far out there on the drug, I wouldn't be home a lot of times. And I remember coming home at different times and just seeing the pain in my mom and my dad's eyes. You know, they knew that I was broken at that time. They knew I was dark. But to me, I wouldn't give them the satisfaction of letting them know the hurt that I was really feeling. I felt like everything was okay. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. I'm an adult now. 
my mom and dad continue to pray for me. You know, they said that they loved me and that they knew I had a problem. Finally, it was in 2005 when I decided to stop using crystal meth once again. I felt like God had his hand on that situation, but my mind just started playing a lot of tricks on me. After going to countless rehabilitation centers, I was finally able to do a two-year court program. And through that program, I was able to get off the meth and get clean. That was around the age of 24 or so. So 24 into my 30s, you know, I wasn't using the hardcore drugs like that. I would occasionally mess with cocaine, but I was getting more into alcohol. And to me, alcohol was no problem. You know, I had done all these hardcore drugs in the past. To me, drinking wasn't really an issue. It was legal. After I got myself sober in 2004, I managed to land myself a really good job, which I'm still at today. I've been there for about 13 years. At my job, I was that person that led a lot of the LGBT equal type groups, and we would go do pride parades every year, and I was one of the ones that would help organize it and lead it. I was still drinking. It manifested to where I started drinking at work, and I would have bottles of liquor in my locker, and I would come to work buzzed, and just all around bad news for me. And I remember getting involved with a couple men at work. Some of them had partners. Some of them had wives. One day I showed up at work and I get pulled into the office by our HR and come to find out one of the guys from my work was taking me to HR for sexual harassment. So I remember being suspended from work for a couple, about two weeks. And during that time, I was consuming so much alcohol. It was totally just disgusting. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night, wake up in the morning. I remember telling my parents that I was sick. That's why I wasn't going to work. I wasn't leaving the house. I was just waking up, killing vodka, going to sleep, waking up, just killing these big old gallons of vodka. And I remember there was a day after Memorial Day and I had all these things against me. My job was at Jeopardy. My rental fee where all my belongings at was almost ready to go be taken away and they were getting ready to confiscate my belongings. I was so far behind financially. Um, the guy who tried to press charges at me at work actually called the police department and had them get involved about physical abuse and stuff like that. So I was getting contacted by the police department. At that time, I had a warrant for my arrest because I had been running for four years because I didn't have my license and I didn't finish my DUI classes. So all this stuff was against me. And I was at my bottom. I had thought I had hit my bottoms and my lows before with the crystal and with the LSD and all that stuff. But at this point, I realized, what am I doing? Like, this is the lowest I've been. I need help. When you're that hooked on alcohol and you're that dependent, you can't just cut cold turkey. If you do, your body can have a negative reaction and some people actually die from it. I said I was never someone who would contemplate suicide. But at that time, the devil had me so messed up that I was okay with the thought of going to sleep and not waking up. And I remember thinking, if I go to sleep in this room that I'm renting, I don't wake up. It might be a day or two before someone realizes. And I had tried to convince myself and lie to myself that even though I was living this gay lifestyle, I tried to convince myself that God would still let me into heaven if I were to die. I would tell myself things like, God, you know that if I were to die right now and go to go before you, you know, you know, I feel like you would let me in because I have a good heart. I'm a good person. And at this time, I wasn't asking God to take homosexuality away from me. I was okay with living that lifestyle, but I wasn't okay with being an alcoholic. So my prayer that night wasn't God deliver me from this lifestyle of sexual immorality, but it was God, you know, I don't want to drink no more. I'm tired of being dependent on this alcohol. That night I said a prayer like I've never said before. All the years that I lived in the lifestyle, I would hit my lows and I would go to my grandparents who were the pastors at the time and missionaries at the time. And I would say the sinner's prayer and it was just for God to get me out of 
out of a problem or out of trouble. It was never sincere. I really, once I got out of a certain situation or out of a predicament, I would go right back to the vomit that I was coming from. But this time my prayer was different. I really poured my heart into it. And I promised God, I said, God, my job, the place to stay, this problem drinking, if you can help me and you help me with this, I will give my life back to you. I'll do whatever you say. I will listen to you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done living this life of being an alcoholic and being dependent. And I woke up the next day and it was like deliverance completely. I had no cravings. I had no desires. I had no tremors. I had no shakes. I had nothing at all for desiring of alcohol. It was crazy to me. And that week, uh, I got a call back from my work. And they had interviewed enough people at work that could validate my story. And they went to them and telling them, you know, that I'm not that type of person and that this gentleman would come and bring me lunch. And they had pictures that we were at events the weeks before. So my work called me back and they say, you know what, you can come back to work. You still have your job. Boom. God opened the door for me. I was able to get a hold of funds to pay off my storage. Boom. God was there for me. God started opening every single door that I thought was shut once I said that prayer. And the thing that was different about my prayer this time was I gave my heart into it. So I never knew what it meant to completely surrender. And I got it this time. I was like, God, if you just reach me, I'll go out halfway to the middle of the sea to meet you there. You just meet me. And I felt like God knew the truth of my heart so much that all I had to do was barely step into the water. And he came and he picked me up. About a month after I gave my life and surrendered my life in May, that God just started speaking to my identity. I was leading all these gay pride parades and God asked me, God basically said, you're serving two gods right now. And you know what the Bible says about that. You claim to love me, but are you going and doing parades for me? Are you going out and making safe space for people who believe in me? Are you going out, going out and sharing your word? Are you as bold about me at your work as you are about these other lifestyle choices that you're making? And it really hit me and it really convicted me. Then God started speaking into me about hooking up with men that were in relationships with women or that had wives. And he's like, you want to be loved so, so bad, but you're going and you're messing around with these men that are in a marriage to another person. Marriage is hard enough for two people, let alone you being a distraction or someone that's coming in the middle of it. You know what I mean? So that really convicted my heart at the time. And then he just started speaking into my identity. And it was at that point where he opened my eyes because I would remember growing up and crying out to God. God, why am I like this? Like, I don't want to be gay. Why can't I like girls the way other guys like girls? This was from a young age, eight, nine, 12, 13, all throughout my life. I had different breakdowns. I'll cry. Like finally I got to the point where it's like, I was born this way. If God, God hasn't answered my prayer. If not, like, why am I struggling with this thought? Like, I don't, people would say, Oh, you chose to be gay. And to me, I'm like, if I could have a choice, I would choose to be straight at that time because it would have been so much easier for me growing up. And I never understood why. So God really opened my eyes and that's when I started seeing all the things kind of I touched on earlier on where the devil planted seeds from a young age. You know, you don't like doing sports. You don't like doing this because you're a sissy. You like playing with dolls. You're like, and it's like, no, I understood at that moment after I surrendered back to God that God designs all his children different. So it wasn't something that made me gay, but it's someone who made me creative, unique, had an eye for fashion, you know, who like doing things that were visually stimulating. So I started realizing where the devil planted seeds and tried to lie to me and lie about my identity. And God told me, I never created you to be this way. And then I started remembering the girls that I did have crushes on growing up and just my unrealistic expectations of what those were supposed to look like. You know, I would hear about my cousins going, all the boy talk and girls doing this with them. And I'm like, first of all, that's something that they're probably lying about as my eyes are exposed. But second of all, no eight, nine, 10-year-olds should be thinking about doing that with another person. That's not godly either. So my eyes are open to that. 
my eyes were open to the uh, pornography things that I saw where for a long time I thought it was a normal thing where no seven, eight, nine-year-olds should be exposed to hardcore pornography. So God opened all those moments for me and all those doors for me and then opened my eyes as well to where I finally started understanding, okay, I have an identity in Christ. I've been doing this the whole wrong way. I've been trying to find my identity through my sexuality. And I went through a spiritual checklist with God and I was like, I've been in this life for 25 years. Am I happy? No, I am the unhappiest I've ever been. Have I found true love? I've never found true love. Do I have a tight group of friends? I had a lot of friends that were users at the time. Good people, but just were users. I started going through a checklist and I was like, you know what, God? I'm going to give you my identity because I've tried it my way and I've tried this lifestyle for 25 years. You've answered so many prayers. I know you're real. I know you're there for me. I know you're going to bless me and I know you're opening doors for me. I'm going to do whatever you say. So it was at that moment where I decided to tell myself, no matter what it takes, I am going to stop hooking up with men physically and just start searching God. And I remember my cousins inviting me back to church. Now, keep in mind, I told you I had grown up in church, you know, from a young age. And my church has been there since 1980, and it's still there to this day. It's where I continue to go back to now. But when I gave my life back to God, I just felt like too many people at the church knew my story. And I didn't want all eyes on me, you know. So I had cousins taking me to their church where they were having a Bible study course. It was a nine-week course. It was about learning more about who God is in your relationship to God. And I remember forming really good friendships at this Bible study at this church that I was going to. And this was in September. I had given my life back to God in May. And I remember sharing with them and getting really personal with them. But I hadn't shared with the group or the church yet my experience with same-sex attraction. I remember going and talking to my grandma and grandpa because the assistant pastor wanted to take me out for lunch and hear more of my story. And I had a couple aunts who were telling me, be careful what you tell them because we've heard of people, you know, disowning people from churches or not accepting it. But I really feel like the Holy Spirit at that moment was telling me to share my story. So I went to my grandma and grandpa who always gave me really good, sound, faithful advice. And I told them, you know, I want to share my story with these people. I think that, you know, they really care for me and they really love me. And my grandpa told me, he said, you know, if that's what you feel the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, he goes, pray about it. And if he says yes, he's like, do it. He's like, if someone came to me with that, one of the first things I'd want to do is pray with the person. So I took that advice, met up with the assistant pastor and told him, and he was just blown away by everything I had gone through and really encouraged me and asked to pray with me, kind of validating what my grandpa had told me what he would do in that situation. So I felt like all lights were go to share with the group. So I went back to the Bible study group after that meeting with the assistant pastor. And it was the last night. It was the ninth week. And I was so nervous to share my story. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I broke down crying at the table. And this was a Bible study where we broke off into smaller groups. So there was about seven or eight of us at my table that we had grown really close to. And I remember just breaking down and sharing and crying and just telling my story. And there was another young lady at the table. And I just see tears coming from her eyes. And I just felt, I even feel the Holy Spirit in me right now just reminding me of that moment. But I just remember her tears coming at Holy Spirit, letting me know, like, without her even saying anything, like, she struggles with the same thing. And in that moment, Holy Spirit confirmed with me and through someone else who approached me later on that night with the same tears. And I saw in the eye the same pain that they struggled with the same thing that I was struggling with. And Holy Spirit confirmed and said, you need to share your story because there's people out there that need to hear it. There's people out there that are hiding in shame that don't know who to open to. So um, I made it a point from that time. I'm like, I'm going to continue to share my story no matter what. One of the hardest things at that time was community. I had left all my friends and a big circle of people and a lot of coworkers didn't understand. And I really felt alone. My family was there for me. They walked me back with open arms, but I felt alone as far as friendships. And I remember going to um, my grandma and she's like 
80 years old and she has like this hardcore German accent, but she tells me, you know, Mikey, I remember watching on Facebook, there's a group called the Freedom March and it's ex-homosexuals marching for Jesus. So I told her, I'm like, really? That sounds crazy to me. Like I never heard of ex-homosexuals marching their own march, you know, for victory in Jesus. So I remember searching out this group of people that were doing the march and I messaged a couple individuals that I found using hashtags. Finally, some guy named Luis had reached out to me and I shared with him my story. And he basically walked me into the family. He said, you know what? You're not alone. And I remember him reaching out and giving me contacts here in California that I could meet up and link up with. I started reaching out to people. God brought two brothers into my life that same year, late 2018, who live within a 15-minute, 20-minute radius of where I lived, who are both overcomers, both out of the lifestyle, both have very strong walks. And God started fulfilling that part of me that needed friendship at the time. Ever since then, I've just been going forward with God, you know, sharing my testimony if I can be a beacon or like a lighthouse in a sea of darkness, if someone could see the light of Jesus shining through me, you know, I got to share my story. If it's going to bring them in from safe harbor, from rough waters or rocky waters, like I need to share my story. God gave me such a boldness to share my story. It's like the devil tried to rob me of so much. Like I'm going to give it back to the devil. You know, he thought that he would twist something and take it so bad. People try to come at me and say, Oh, you're, you know, you're still gay you're not this, you're not changed and call me names. And still to this day, I still get, you know, negative feedback. But the thing is when I came out in the early nineties, it was a much different world than we're living in now. It was hard to come out during that time. It was not accepted like it is now. And I was called every name in the book. So there's nothing that no one can call me anything that people can say to me or do to me. That's going to make me stop from sharing what God's done in my life or sharing that testimony that I have. I really like that song where it says, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Because I had such a boldness to go to these parades and stand in the faces of people and, you know, gay equality and gay marriage and this and that. And it's like, now I have that boldness for Jesus, you know, and to share his love. And um, I just want to make sure I'm clear. I don't have nothing against the gay community. I don't have any kind of hate. I don't have any kind of ill will. I love my friends that are still living that lifestyle. My best friend who's been there with me from the beginning, she's a lesbian. She's still in that lifestyle. We have a great relationship. I'm not trying to change people. I don't try to convict people. I feel like the Holy Spirit will convict us on his own. My job is to share my story and to love people. And through that love, I just hope that they know if they feel like they're trapped in a certain lifestyle or they feel like they can't come out of something that other people exist. So I kind of related to how I felt back when I was coming out into the gay world. Like it's easier to know when there's other people that are like you. It's okay for you to have that conflict inside of you where your spirit man wrestles against your um, sexuality because our identity is found in our creator. It's not found through our sexuality or labels. And that's one thing I have a problem with to this day is labels. I have a lot of people that ask me, Oh, so you're heterosexual now and you like girls. And well, I don't like labeling myself as heterosexual. I don't have that sexual interest in women. But at the same time, if we're going to be godly about it, I shouldn't be having any kind of sexual lust or temptation to men or women on that aspect. So my job right now is just to stay pure. Um, there's an author named Christopher Yuan. He uh, is an author and he actually has a real good testimony too. He's written a couple of books, but um, one of his more recent books talk about being wholly sexual. So it's just being holy in your sexuality. And that's where I'm at right now. That's where I'm okay with right now. I take my sexuality like I take my addictions. And I've done a lot of rehab. So I take it one day at a time. I keep focused on God for the day. Not every day is easy. You know, the devil does like to try to attack my mind. But as I'm growing in Christ now, going on over two years, I'm learning how to armor up. 
I'm learning how to combat that spiritual warfare. I'm learning how to use tools that I'm taught as far as taking thoughts captive, how to turn to brothers for prayer. It's not an easy walk, but I also recognize that I felt growing up that I had an entitlement to the kingdom because I had family members that were stronger in God. My grandparents were pastors and part of me felt like I was entitled to go to heaven, but no, in all reality, I'm a baby in Christ all over again. I've only been serving God now for two years. Praise the Lord. I have a lot more to learn and a lot more to grow in God. So my goal right now is not to find any kind of romance interest or to go find a wife or nothing like that. That's not the desires of my heart at this time. I really have a desire to spread the word of God and share the love of the gospel with other people. So I take it one day at a time. I stay away from the people, places, and things that might cause me to stumble. And um, if God grants me life again tomorrow and bless me with another new day, then I'll take that day when it comes. To this day, I am now involved in a couple overcomer groups. I have a support group that I go to here in my near my city where um, we give hope to a lot of parents. The times we're in right now, it's scary. You know, I tell myself it was hard coming out back when I came out. I couldn't imagine trying to come out now with it being so accepted, how much more harder it is to fight that. If you feel like that conviction, when you have everybody, even churches now, you know, saying that it's okay to live that lifestyle. My story is my story. Some people say, well, I didn't go through the addictions. I didn't go through all the drug stuff with you. I've met a lot of people with a whole bunch of different stories that have came out of that lifestyle. And the common denominator is there's a void and there's a peace that's lacking. And I really feel like if you're in that lifestyle, there's not a deep peace that you get. And that only peace you can get comes through God. And if you're really giving God your heart, he's going to convict you of things that you know. So my job, like I said, isn't here to preach and tell people you shouldn't be doing this, but it's to show them the love of Christ, share my story. I'm not saying my story has to be your story, but you can see where I came from and what God's brought me out of and delivered me from what he's restored back to me. The peace I have now is unlike any other peace I have. I lay my head down at night and I wake up with God every morning. And I just have that peace and that hunger inside of me to serve God. I'm going to continue serving God. I don't know what his will is for me or what his desire, but I'm excited to find out because it's going to be a really cool journey. Wow, Michael. Thank you so much for sharing that and just being so real and not holding back. Uh, man, <laughs> <laughs> you took us on a journey, but you do not look at all like what you've been through. That's awesome. You definitely have a light about you. And I love that. Yeah. Thank you. That's all <laughs> from God. <laughs> yeah, it has to be. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when you gave your life back to God and made that transition from like doing the pride parades and stuff and being bold for God, did you feel like a backlash from the LGBTQ community? I had two different aspects because I had my friends community, then I had my coworker community. So my circle of guy friends that I would go out to all these different events with, a lot of them just stopped coming around. One of them came at me and told me that he couldn't be my friend and he'd fight me till the very end because what I'm saying could possibly cause children to go kill themselves because I shouldn't be preaching or teaching to anybody where kids could get a hold of my message because it's going to make them feel shame. And a lot of people accusing me of that. I had a lot of them confusing me of conversion therapy, which has a very negative connotation. You hear conversion therapy and I go back to thinking old school methods where they would force you to see certain videos or give you different repercussions physically or try to beat the gay out of you. And I went through nothing like that. And no one that I've known, no one that I currently know that's left that has gone through anything like that. The only therapy we've gone through is the conversion therapy of Jesus Christ, you know, radical encounter with Christ. But I had people claiming that my family were Bible bashers and I've been tricked and manipulated. And I never got that because I was like, I lived that life for 25 years. Like I'm very bold in my beliefs. You think you're that 
be that easy for people like my family who have been praying for me all this time and I knew they've been against it, it wouldn't have been that easy for them to brainwash or manipulate me. Like it's something that I decided on my own. Mm-hmm. And then from work, like I said, I was leading a lot of the parades through my work. Some of the ones that I thought would be harder on me were actually very loving and they know my heart, they know the type of person I am. And I remember getting support from some of them saying, you know, we see your story. And as long as you're happy, like you're truly happy, like we're happy for you. Because they started seeing like I stopped drinking. I got my vehicle back. I started doing all these things and getting better for myself. But I had a couple of them that were bitter and a couple of them that still don't see what happened. And they're in that lifestyle. And I feel the tension there, you know, and I just pray for them. I host prayer meetings at my house every other week. So they've come to my prayer meetings. They've come and they ask me for prayer. So I feel like it's opened both doors. I have some of the negative ones, but the positive side is so much better. I feel like God's brought some people and now they know that I'm a safe place to come for Mm -hmm. prayer and to come for stuff like that at work. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So when you were talking about the shame that you felt from like the pornography and just your sexuality, um, how do you feel like, the gospel or I guess the Christian message could be presented in a way that like doesn't lead to shame. Do you feel like it was present, presented to you in the best way? Growing up? No, I feel like the church has a lot of room to do as far as embracing and loving the homosexual, but not their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So the church that I go to for the support group, that church is very fortunate to have a pastor the assistant pastor, the group leader behind our side that makes resources available for not just people that are suffering with same-sex attraction, but for the family members who are praying for their sons, daughters, family members that are in the lifestyle. I feel like it's almost a taboo subject to touch on. I feel like a lot of preachers are hesitant because they don't want to lose people in their flock Mm -hmm. because they don't want to ruffle feathers. But in this day and age, everybody has someone they love that's living in that lifestyle. And if you're a true believer in Christ and you believe what the word of God says, you're praying for them to come out of that lifestyle. You know, you're praying for them to have a radical transformation and not because anything against the community, but because, you know, they're broken and they're hurt. You know what I mean? And if you're their family, you could probably sense it the best. So growing up, I felt like if I would have known that there was this group and a support group for young adults or for teenagers, early teens, and it was all about people that might have same sex. And it was approached in a way where you don't have to feel shameful, but it was embraced. Like, hey, if you feel like you're questioning your sexuality, like, let's talk about it. If there was more open dialogue, but it was never like that. And I never really heard any sermons or hear any teachings until I started going to more events. Now that I know people that have ministries that are leading these, but in your traditional church, you don't hear it like sermon, like the sermons I would hear were basically the quotes right out of the Bible. And it's like just reassurance that you're going to go to hell if you're gay. Right. So I think they have a lot of room to grow as far as living and being judgmental, you know, someone who has a partner or a wife. And if they want to come into the church for the first time, like, if they have their arm around each other, you know, they get the looks from people and they get this and that. And it's like, well, how about we love them first? And how about we tell them what they shouldn't be doing? Let's show the love of God and let once again, the Holy spirit convict their hearts because if they're there long enough and they start, you know, God reaches their heart, they're going to stop doing things on their own. But I think the biggest problem is a lot of people feel like we need to convict the homosexuality Mm -hmm. or the homosexual. And I feel like we really need to love them, leave it to the spirit to convict and just show more love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Do you have any, I guess, final words of advice for anyone who's maybe struggling with their sexuality or maybe a resource as far as finding like a community of people that they can kind of open up to if they don't feel comfortable, you know, within their family or friend or church group? And especially with, you know, COVID, 
everyone feels isolated. Um, is there some sort of online resource or just final, just words of encouragement you would leave with the listeners? For resources, I know you can go to um, livingstonesministries.org, I believe. That's the ones that are the umbrella group for the um, group that I go to. So if you go to livingstonesministry.org, they'll get you in touch with somewhere that's nearby for you to go and get help as far as a support group. Advice would be for the person who is living an LGBT life and is A, either wants change and is just afraid to leave everything behind and do it or for B for the person who feels like they're living the lifestyle and that is okay I would just ask them to speak to God you know and ask the Holy Spirit just to reveal to them and give them the discernment of their life and their choices you know if they're feeling empty and they're not happy and they might feel like it's hard to let people know because you know you want to portray I portrayed such a fake life to my friends and family for the longest time where when I gave my life back to God, my coworkers, many of them were like, but you don't have to change that. Like you're such a good person. You're always in a happy mood and you're always singing. I'm like, guys, that was all a mask. Like my family knows my true pain and knows my true hurt. Like I wore a mask for so long. It was easy for me to be singing at work and this and that. So I would tell them, you know, if you're really deep down inside hurt and you feel that void or that emptiness or that brokenness, seek God and reach out to somebody, reach out to a pastor or someone that you know is walking strong with the God and just ask for prayer. And for the family members, I would encourage prayer. Mm -hmm. Like it sounds cliche, but someone once told me there's nothing cliche when it comes to the word of God. Pray for your family members. My mom and my grandma, the support group I go to now, they were going to for about five or six years praying for me through the Living Stones ministry. When I finally gave my testimony at that group, they had me on some big old list. And I was like, man, they were praying for me for such a long time. All these people I didn't even know. So you prayer warriors, mama, papa, prayer warriors, brother, sister, prayer warriors, keep on saying your prayers. God hears the prayers. I think one of the hardest parts is being patient through it. You got to release them into God's care. And, you know, God does answer prayers. I tell my mom her testimony is just as strong as mine. Because it shows the power of a mom who's not going to give up praying for her son. And mm-hmm. 25 years, you know, some people might have given up or stopped or just, you know, given up hope that I would, you know, live that lifestyle. And she never gave up her prayers. My grandma, my aunts, my some of my cousins, my uncles, they continued praying for me. And they knew that that wasn't who I really was. So continue praying. And um, when it comes to the individual, just love your son, love your daughter, love them. It's so hard not to be hurt and to be angry or to feel like you're mourning the loss sometimes of someone that's came out to you if they're your son or daughter because you feel like, but you just have to continue loving them. And that's one of the main things my mom always did. I knew she loved me. And I knew that if I ever needed somewhere to go or needed something that she would be there for me. But I always knew that there was certain behavior that she wouldn't really accept or recognize. But even on Facebook and Instagram, they can go to uh, Freedom March. Freedom March is the march that I got involved with. They march three times a year in three different cities. The regular city is Washington, D.C. That's the one that they keep regular. And then they march in different. But it's a whole bunch of other people that have come out of different, not just the LGBT lifestyle, but sexual brokenness. The founder, his name is Jeffrey McCall. He used to be an ex, he used to be, he, well, he's ex-trans. He used to be trans. And he really just has a heart for people coming out of that lifestyle and wanting to seek freedom. So he created this march. Through them, you could also find a lot of testimonies and just hear a lot of great stories. You know, you you think everybody's the same, but then you hear all these different testimonies of other overcomers, and they're so, so different. You can also look up Changed Movement. They're out of Bethel Redding, the founders, um, 
Ken William and Elizabeth Woning. They also have a really great resources for a lot of good testimonies. A lot of people that I've met personally and friends that I call brothers and sisters that have shared their story. And then from them, you'll find a lot of them. There are so many groups I didn't know existed out in Florida. They have like Fearless Identity. The Fearless Identity is led by Luis Ruiz and Angel Colon, two of the survivors from the massacre. They started their own ministry where they go and they share their testimonies on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back East, they have Uprooted Heart Ministries. Uh, there's another young lady, her name's MJ Nixon. She shares a love of the same passion, you know, seeking freedom from other people. Just a, a lot of networks you could connect in once you connect into some of these groups, you start seeing how many are really available. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I'm glad that there's so many resources out there because I'm the last person to know. So I'm glad that we're able to have this conversation and hopefully help a lot of people. So thank you so much for your time, Michael. Um, I really appreciate you coming on here. I appreciate it too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. Michael listed a litany of amazing resources. I know it's a lot to keep track of. So if you check out the description for this episode, I've dropped all the links there so that you can find what you need. Michael credits his father for being an instrumental part of his testimony. And so I would like to dedicate this episode to Michael's father, Nazario Nacho Martinez, who passed away on October 18th. My prayers go out to your family that God will continue to give you peace and comfort you during this difficult time. So we will end this episode with a moment of silence in honor of Michael's father.